0: aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don.
1: This is your Estate Planning Essentials radio program. My name is Don Crawford, Jr., the grateful owner of KWAM Radio and co-host of this excellent program, judiciously committed to protecting your family, your assets, and you. And I'm sitting with my co-host, my attorney, my friend, who should be, I don't know about your friend, but it should definitely be your attorney, our Dallas estate planning expert in his name, is Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you? Doing great. Good. Are you doing great because the Cowboys now are going into the playoffs and we don't know how well they're going to do, and if they choke again, it's not going to be pretty? Well, I I
2: always hope that uh, the—for the best (laughs) and—
1: We'll see what happens. You know football very, very well. You're being very shy and modest over there, but it will be interesting. And let's hope they go far for everybody's sake because it's not going to be very pretty if they don't. I'll always be a Cowboys fan. Good answer. Okay. Very very safe and diplomatic. Thank you for that. Um, Today, we want to talk about that issue that doesn't plague everybody but a small group of people, but it's a very important issue, especially in light of Social Security and that disastrous program that doesn't seem to get much better. Uh, But you want to talk about Medicaid. And you mentioned to me before the program that there are many, many exceptions to transferring Medicaid. And you wanted to address those today, is that correct? Yeah. Well, transferring. Okay. So, Medicaid is
2: means tested. Uh-huh. In other words, they look at your assets for the government to help pay for care mm-hmm. or drugs. Um, I'm going to be talking about nursing home Medicaid. There are 109 Medicaid programs, each with their own rules. Okay. Uh, and so, like a common situation that i realize this is not going to be applicable to all but if you are getting older and you don't have long-term care insurance or adequate assets or if you have a parent that's getting older this could be important to you uh, because the cost of care is great i was talking um, to one of the attorneys in my office uh, just yesterday, mm-hmm. and the um, his wife unfortunately has Parkinson's and she's in the latter stages, mm-hmm. and he was looking at a particular nursing home, uh, and it was going to cost fourteen thousand a month. Unbelievable, and he said, you know, and it was a, it's a great facility. He said, but there are there other options, and I said, yes. And I was telling about different things, and and the facility happens to even uh, accept Medicaid, uh, but the average facility is probably half, uh, a little bit, maybe a little bit more than half of that, Mm -hmm. maybe about Mm 7,500. But still, think about it. As people are aging, uh, the longer you live, the more likelihood of disability. If you were trying to get disability insurance or long-term care insurance, you could only get it to a certain age because the likelihood increases just like life insurance generally the older you get the more risk that you're going to die sure so uh if you don't have that and 90% of Americans don't then you say oh my goodness everything i've worked for could go to care costs at the toward the end of life and how do i do things to preserve particularly if the person was, let's say, either widowed or single, uh, then there's uh, limitations, very limited amount of assets you could have, only a couple thousand. There are certain things that do not count, and a lot of strategy is buy things that do not count or pay bills. But There are some exceptions to Medicaid's five-year look-back period. Mm -hmm. Now, again, Medicaid presumes, long-term care Medicaid presumes, because uh, to get eligible, you had to basically almost be impoverished if you're single. Not if you're married, because there's different rules where that's no longer the case, but so a lot of times people used to try to just transfer assets to get eligible for Medicaid. Okay, And the government said, well, we presume that you did that on purpose so that we would have to help pay for care costs. Mm-hmm. Usually the person's income would go to basically the facility, and the government would say – Basically, in effect, uh, pay the diff. Well, not really pay the difference, but you don't have to pay the difference. Okay. So, if somebody's Social Security uh, income, let's say, was seventeen hundred, and the cost of the facility was seventy-seven hundred, if you got on Medicaid, you'd save six thousand dollars a month. Oh, okay. So now I need to know, and maybe I would like to preserve some of those monies, either for my benefit or for the benefit of family members. So there are certain, like everything, there are certain exceptions to every rule. All right. In Texas, and this is going to be different from state to state, so in Texas, one of the uh, the f- options that most people are not aware of, if you transfer to a tuition savings program for, let's say, a grandchild that's under 21, this could be done by not only the parent, I guess, as well, or a step parent, and but it's, it's typically by the grandparent, but it could be also by a brother, sister, aunt, or uncle. So it has to be an irrevocable, an irrevocable. Tuition savings program. Okay. Uh, the problem is, a lot of times, like Texas program, uh, that that it's it's they're generally sometimes revocable, so you have to look into it. Um, but you know, it's a good thing to know about because uh, you would like to. Would you rather pay for your grandchild's uh, college education, provide for that, or pay a nursing home? Mm. Uh, mm. Similar to that, number two. Number two, transfers to the a Uniform Transfers to Minors Act account. Now, an UTMA account. So what's that? An UTMA account, you can go to any bank, and you could establish an UTMA account, and it doesn't even have to be. It could be for anyone under 21. Well, usually at banks, they only let you do it till age 18. Sometimes it's the uh, brokerage firms that have it up to 21, but you... If you transfer directly, and you can name who the custodian is. So let's say you're the grandparent, and you had a child that you'd like to be this, the custodian uh, for the UPM account, which is hopefully to use for education. That's what the government's uh, thoughts are. Although uh, at age 21, they're just enti- or 18, depending on where it's uh, wh- what type of account, uh, that grandchild could get the funds uh, if it hadn't been used. Uh, So, uh, in in other words, Texas is saying we think education is a good thing. We think college education is a good thing. So, if you transfer to this uh, type of account, and you're not limited to the annual exclusion, as we talked about, oh, I think at the end of last year, the uh, annual gift tax exclusion that you can make as a gift without reporting to the IRS is $18,000 a year per person, uh, even if you made a gift, by the way, to for more than that, and then uh, you could uh, use up some of your exclusion that you could give at death, and which that went up to 13610000 Not Not that you would put that much in an educational account, nor uh, would you even try. But the bottom line is you could give more. Uh, you may have a duty to do a gift tax return, but there would be no gift tax due. Um, so, uh, anyway, an upma it could be anybody, it could be anyone. Um, we've done it for great grandchildren, we've mm-hmm. done it for grandchildren. It's a common tool, and that one's pretty easy because it's all it is is setting up a bank account and making a direct transfer. Um, so it's 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 pretty simple. Very good, uh, and, and and you don't have to look to see if something is irrevocable or not. Good. Um, number three would be transfers between spouses. So if you're married, it's a different story because when you apply for Medicaid, you could have lots of more, a lot more assets, uh, but they even require that you transfer assets from the ill spouse, the one on Medicaid, to the well spouse within one year after the person's on Medicaid. Okay. So any transfers between spouses would be an exception to the rules. Uh, they look at the assets of both the husband and the wife, Uh, And so it doesn't matter whose name it's in, they still look at it. So even if you had a prenuptial agreement or an agreement that was after um, you got married, they still look at the assets of both the husband and the wife when you apply for Medicaid. Often you could keep hundreds of thousands of dollars and get eligible for Medicaid uh, if you're married, and there's various ways beyond this show that We've talked about on prior shows, and of course, uh, each one of our shows. We don't often mention this. We have podcasts that are archived, at least on our website at DallasElderLawyer dot com, and you may want to listen to that if that's something of interest. We are seeing our podcast. subscribers increasing uh, quite a bit so we're glad uh, you may want to listen to
1: that if that's some issue that is uh, of interest to you i strongly recommend that very helpful i do find it interesting just listening to you the first five ten minutes of this program how you and attorneys in general and financial planners have to engage in this dance with the government to yes. make sure that you can hang on to as much as possible
2: well it's just like tax law mm-hmm. um Planning for public benefits is the government says that this is what is required uh, to go within our rules to get our benefits. Mm-hmm. So just like we've talked about on prior shows, there's all sorts of different ways to set up trust. We say, who, who's in control? Is it the one who's making the trust? Is it is it done where it's irrevocable in a way where... Uh, The trust is basically a different entity that it's in control? The trustee's in control? Is it the children in control? When is something considered a completed gift? There was one of the most popular cases uh, uh, for elder law attorneys this last year was a case in Pennsylvania where there was gifts right before somebody died. Uh, but the checks hadn't been cashed in, mm-hmm. uh, until after death. And mm-hmm. so the Internal Revenue Co- Internal Revenue Service said those were not completed gifts. Wow. So it's still part of the estate for state taxes. Interesting. <laughs> well, anyway, so what are the rules? Mm-hmm. And just like anything, and so what we're, we're talking about, here are the rules, whether it's on income taxes or estate planning or, in this case, Medicaid planning. Mm-hmm. What are the rules? What do they allow We've told you that there was a, an exception to the rules. We would think it's a good thing for college education, so that was an exception. We have this requirement. You have to look at the assets of both, the husband and wife, so that's an exception. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have a disabled child, well, transfers to a disabled child are an exception. We want to take care of those who are disabled. So there's there's reasons for each one of these rules. We think it's a good thing to take care of those who are disabled. Now you gotta be careful. If the disabled child was on a Medicaid program, then they might have too much assets. So you have to now, if it's on social security disability, it's a different thing. Social security disability you worked, you put into the system, you could get SSDI, Social Security Disability um, uh, and then you get Medicare, even if you were only thirty five years old and mm-hmm. became disabled mm-hmm. uh, that is not means tested but if you're you know were always disabled or disabled at a young age or whenever you were disabled, and sometimes even after sixty five uh, you could get SSI, Supplemental Security Income, mm-hmm. uh, which is another Medicaid program. We were talking about long-term care Medicaid. This would not be applicable for that. This is a remember I told you there's 109 Medicaid programs in Texas alone. Mm-hmm. SSI is a federal program. Gotcha. So we will do a small test after this show to make sure everybody is aware of all the different programs. And but, we will all fail because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is so complicated. Now I'll tell you about a couple things that are hardly ever. Used. And that's transfers to a what's called a sole benefits trust for a disabled child of any age. So there's a type of trust. So let's say you're on um, you're 80 years old and you have a kid that's 60 years old, and the kid was on Social Security disability. Uh, you could have a trust where it has to be what's called actuarially sound. And it's an exception to the uh, look-back period, so you have to do a trust in a certain way, where it's for the sole benefit. Let's say in this case of your child, and uh, it's actuarially sound. So if it had to be, uh, let's say you had a hundred thousand, and the kid had a ten-year life expectancy. Of course, sixty would be more than that, but they paid out ten thousand a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. It would it would might fit in the rules. Okay, but you could have it. Uh, for anybody uh, if the person is disabled uh, and it doesn't uh, if, if they're um, uh, under 65 so you could use a sole benefits trust in another way so let's say you had a son-in-law or daughter-in-law that was um, well either if they're not on, they're disabled let's say on social security disability you could do a sole benefits for that son-in-law or daughter-in-law, uh, or whomever. Uh, and even if they were on SSI, you could have it, if it was small enough, you could say, look, I don't want to lose my Medicaid, but for SSI, you can't have it more. The distributions, if it's actually sound, cannot be more than what the SSI payment is. Mm-hmm. So you could design it in a different way. We hardly have any cases like this. But just to let you know, it's an exception to mm-hmm. the rules. Okay. Uh, now, if you tried to send to transfer something for fair market value uh, but and you attempted and they say, Well, well you, you tried uh, then they might not give you a problem. So let's say you had a home, and it was a ugly home, uh, so to speak, and you transferred it, but it was just not. It's not what the tax rules say it is. But you said I just can't sell it based on its condition. Um, you might sell it at. You tried to sell it at fair market value, but you really couldn't. That would be another example uh, of an exception to the transfer penalty rule. Good if you did things for a purpose other than to qualify for Medicaid. All right, so let's say before, you know, in the five years, let's say four years before you had gave to your favorite church a lump sum or charity a lump sum, and then you had a stroke two years later. Well, you really – there might be a presumption uh, that was guilt, and you have to tell them, but you could rebut the presumption by saying, look – he, was in per- he or she was in perfectly good health at the time. It obviously wasn't done for purposes of getting eligibility for Medicaid. By the way, um, uh, if you tithe uh, and you can, had a history of tithing, you know, well, we show the history of tithing even after you're disabled. But if we could show that there's that history, we actually get the tithing records mm-hmm. and show that to the state to say, look, this is not on purpose to get eligible for Medicaid, this is historical uh, of tithing. Uh, there may be some. Uh, usually there's no problem with that. Uh, we don't have any problem with that, just to mm. let those who tithe uh, know about that. Uh, so just to have a history, though, because we have to prove it uh, uh, to the state. If they're the ones,
1: he who has the gold makes the rules, so we have to go by their rules. Well said. The um, I get receipts for all the tithing that I do each month. I get a, is it as a W-2s or something like that in January for the tithing. So that's very helpful too. So usually you, if you have those electronic emails as receipts, you should be fine with tithing. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, but you may, may not be fine in general because these 14 exceptions to Medicaid transfer rules that Michael's talking about today, um, they're very complicated and you need to know them all. Michael knows them all. And you may have more questions as a result of this program or even before this program and the best way to get them answered to attend michael's next workshop which is thursday february the 1st at 10 o'clock And the workshop is in person. It's free, of course. It's been free forever, 10, 12 years, however long you've been doing them now. See, if you've been doing them monthly, 12 times 10, you've you've probably done a couple hundred of these workshops by now, and they're second nature to you, but they're always different, like you said, because the questions are always different. The laws change, circumstances change, people change. You get that, but you're still there. And I really appreciate that they're workshops because they're interactive, which is very helpful. And it gets to prove... To the attendees, what I've been saying for almost a decade now, and that is, you are very exceptional. They hear and see your heart, and they hear and see your expertise, but they need to go and see for themselves.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you'll people will enjoy it. Actually, uh, uh, it's like you said, it's free. Uh, you get to have it's your own questions answered uh, whatever it is that may bother you it may not be on medicaid it could be on estate planning Mm -hmm. which is you know you never some workshops are more on estate planning some are on medicaid you never know uh because we never know who's going to attend the questions are always different which makes it more fun or fun uh for me Mm -hmm. uh because i like answer the questions, So uh, for two hours, uh, we ask people, first of all, what they want to know so that their time is well spent. And then we write down those questions on a board, I answer them. We will have a presentation as well on the more common questions, you Mm -hmm. know, what's the difference between a will or trust, whatever. Uh, When would you use one? When would you buy a power of attorney? Whatever, all the different options on those type of estate planning documents. But really we never know what's important to people so we spend more time on whatever it is that the questions are asked and you're you're not only going to get hopefully the correct answer on your questions but also on you'll learn from the questions of others it's 2 hours it's free Uh, And if you go to those uh, to the free estate planning essentials workshop, then we also give a one-hour vision meeting to you. We call it a vision meeting, so you'll have a vision as to where your plan should be. Uh, It's no obligation. It's just it's just free. And so, at least you learn about your own situation. It's up to you if you want to do anything or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly, I'm not uh, forcing anything on anybody. This is just an option to learn. To go to that free estate planning essentials workshop, all you have to do is call 214- 720-0102, 214-720-0102, 720-0102, 720 or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com.
1: I forgot to mention one other thing. One other
2: thing. Uh-oh. He knows where this is going. There's
1: not. there's no board here, and there's not me waving my arms reminding Michael to mention this, but he just feels the need or obligation to promote A -A KAAM coffee mug, and I don't know why, because they're not – it's just a coffee mug. Well, you know,
2: previously at the end of last year, we were talking about stocking stuffers, of all stocking stuffers, Uh being the KAAM coffee mug. Uh But now, Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Mm -hmm. Did did anybody ever come up with the phrase trash can stuffer? (laughs) Just think of that. People are just – oozing for that KWM Is oozing the word, really? Word? I don't know. They're, they they could just, the love yeah. that people might have by receiving that KWM poor coffee. recipient, I don't know. Or I think... if the person doesn't give it to anybody, well, they oh. could wake up, wake up and smell the coffee and that KWM
1: coffee. That giver must be very desperate. How about a box of chocolates or some roses? <laughs> That's
2: traditional. <laughs> That's traditional. Who wants to be traditional? Be different. Get that oh. KWM coffee. Okay. Mug. Who can ask for anything more? No, I think that does do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we got about five minutes left, but you need to attend Michael's next workshop. He does have a good sense of humor, too, as you can plainly tell. Dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102, or go to DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com, to sign up for his next workshop, which is Thursday, February the 1st, at 10 o'clock. Other exceptions to Medicaid, Michael? I, oh, before I, I ask you that— um, you taught me many years ago, and I almost fell on the floor this first time, but it's, a, it's, a, it's not a myth. It's a fact that the government wants to get paid back. They want to claw back and say, well, we paid for your Medicaid or Medicare, and now we want our money back after you passed away. I almost the like, is that really true? And you made it clear to me and everybody else, that's what they do. Well, yeah,
2: it's on, on things that are non-accountable um, resources like your homestead. Okay. So that's another exception is um, the enhanced life estate deed, mm-hmm. enhanced life estate deed, also known as a ladybird deed, or a transfer on debt deed. The state only goes after things uh, if it passes by probate or intestacy. Okay. On a Lady Bird deed or on a transfer on debt deed, which are different, uh, then it goes to whoever your beneficiary is Great. after death. That's why I have Butler. that. Mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's interesting, I was just hired by uh, a law firm in New Jersey, uh, they they didn't know the difference between an enhanced life estate deed and a transfer on death deed. I don't have the time today to go over the mm-hmm. differences. They had done it. They called it an enhanced life estate deed, but it was a transfer on death deed. Interesting. And I said, no, this is what we need to do. Uh, that's why the laws are of each state are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most states, they... Uh, they may go after things that may go by will. So every state's different. In Texas, we're only one of three states that allows either the enhanced life estate deed or transfer on debt deed to avoid a successful claim by the government. So they'll make a claim, but then you show them the deed, Mm -hmm. and then they go away. We got – Uh, at least uh, eight uh, waivers or withdrawals of claim this week Mm -hmm. on people who had deeds that we had done to make sure that the state – so that way they could sell the real estate after the person dies
1: Mm -hmm. and the title company feels comfortable because they say, okay, we don't have to worry about the state. Because that many times is someone's biggest asset, and what they're worried about the most is the home that they live in. So I'm glad you set that up. That's
2: probably the biggest – Asset that doesn't count for most people. The other one, by the way, is a, usually a individual retirement account. Mm-hmm. Uh, life th- insurance. Uh, life insurance. If it ha- if it depends on life insurance because if we mm. have a beneficiary, then it avoids a successful claim. However, on uh, life insurance would count as a resource if it has a face value of over fifteen hundred and has a. Cash surrender. Interesting. It, uh, if it's term life insurance, they well, if it w- so, if the term life insurance policy didn't have a beneficiary, the state would go after it, right? But if it, if it, or if it said the estate, but if it had individuals named, then. Um, then it would pass outside. The, it would it might be a successful claim, which gets into the show that we talked about last week. In mm-hmm. some respects, right? Uh, it's a very interesting on life insurance companies. If there was nobody named as a beneficiary, what happens on for unclaimed funds and the cheating to the state? Gotcha. And in this case, it would go perhaps to the uh, Medicaid. You know, for the benefit of Medicaid uh, benefits advance. Uh, there's a collection agency for the state. Um, state uh, has health and human services, but there's a uh, collection agency on yeah. behalf of the state. I don't
1: want to work for a collection agency. <laughs> all
2: right, one minute, my friend. Well, I'll just tell you, though that's extremely important, so I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. If you had a bank account that was joint and you had it with somebody else, but you're the, the one that was the Medicaid recipient and you're the one that contributed all the funds, well, you have to just show that it was all your funds and you could transfer the funds to that person who contributed all the funds. Uh, if you bought a pre-need funeral contract, well, it's your that's not really a transfer. it's still something for your benefit. Mm-hmm. so even if it's based on life insurance policy, if you irrevocably assign the policy to the uh, funeral home, the government doesn't want to pay for the cost of your funeral, so that doesn't count it as an asset. If you have a home or property uh, have a home with an equity interest with a sibling, that's also uh, a uh, an exception uh, if they had an equity interest uh, and uh, they could transfer it to the uh, sibling without a penalty. And finally, I'm going to mention transfers to a home who prevented institutionalization for a couple years. So you can make a – if somebody says, okay, I'm going to take care of mom or dad, uh, then we could transfer the uh, property so that the state didn't have to pay for that couple years that they prevented. So if that uh, child, let's say, took care of mom or dad at, at mom or dad's home – then uh, then that would be an exception of rules, but be careful uh because you may have lost a step up in basis for capital gains tax purposes because if you get given asset to somebody else. Uh, now they take your basis, and if they sold the property, there would be capital gains tax on depreciation, whereas if mom or dad had hel- held it, like what you talked about with the Lady deed or the transfer on debt deed, mm-hmm. you would get the values of the date of death
1: and not have to pay capital gains tax on the appreciation. There's your machine gun mic. I told you. I've been telling you for years, and this was all – he didn't read, as you can plainly tell just by listening. Attend his next workshop to get these questions answered, whether it was generated from this program or, or estate planning – Questions in general. Attend his next workshop on Thursday, February the 1st at 10 o'clock. Michael Cohen, I thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. The record's-
0: 0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on 770-KAAM since 2013, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate and complete what could currently be a deficient estate plan. Make sure it's done your way and sign up for his next workshop today.